folks. This is Chris White. You're listening to Basic Business Advice. Here today with Ken Hostetler, partner at Equus, Dan Oalabi, branches worldwide in Oalabi Leadership, Jordan Mullen with Sandler Training and the Berlin Escape Room. Today, guys, let's jump in right away to this topic, working with family. The number one place small businesses will find resources, people, workforce when they get going is right inside their own home. And so often the choice of getting going in business involves working with family. But that is also probably where one of the greatest stressors come because the familial relationship has different boundaries than a business partner relationship. So what are your thoughts? As you think about this globally, working with family, starting off, Dan, what do you think? You know, I think it's it's a really sticky subject because oftentimes, just like you said, when people are starting a business, it, the easiest thing to do is to reach for your son or your daughter or your spouse or something like that. And I, I get that, you know, because they believe in you more than anyone else. It's easy to trust them. You have a longstanding relationship anyway. You kind of know what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. I think oftentimes, though, small business owners and entrepreneurs they forget the downside or they don't fully realize the downside. And I think oftentimes in order to really be successful in business, you have to be objective about what you're trying to do and who you're trying to do it with. And relationships with family are notorious for being subjective, not objective. And it's very, very difficult to discipline, very difficult to fire, very difficult to set clear direction because you always assume things that you shouldn't assume in all kinds of arenas. And so I think it takes a very, very capable leader in order to lead a business with family members. More often than not, you're asking for trouble. It's interesting because, Jordan, (laughs) you started in a family business. Grandpa, right? Yeah. Okay, so what was your experience? (laughs) Oh, it's great. It's, It's funny because, number one, is it is easy to reach for, right? It makes sense. But it's probably the least managed part it's the most complex and least managed, which means that the expectations are huge, but the amount of effort that we put into making the work relationship blossom, grow, which means that we don't put rules in place. We don't like, it's just all these unspokens, right? And then there's just this assumption that everything's gonna be okay. And if it's not okay, let's just deal with it. So I, I don't know. Part of me says it's the worst way to enter a business possible. And yet then I look at my Christian worldview and I look at God the Father through the Bible who poured out all of his work through his son. So that, I believe, is built into us. That relationship that's there is built there. I think that's why we look for our family members. But then doing that without putting work into it, without setting guidelines, without talking about what's going to get you fired. like Because you think about if you'd hire somebody and tell them there's literally nothing you can do to get fired. But I'm going to expect a huge amount from you. But you can do absolutely whatever you want. I will never fire you. (laughs) (laughs) That makes for an interesting relationship. Right. Right? Right. Ken, you have probably set up, what, 150 small businesses in the past three years. number of them come in from family situations. That's where it's getting started and getting going. What has been your experience and advice in setting those up in those in those scenarios? Yeah, well, I think Dan and, and Jordan have obviously, uh, you know, hit some of the really key dangers. There's two additional things that, that I think are really important to consider. And one is just the kind of unmotivation effect, if that's a word, 
uh, unmotivating effect it has on other employees. It's not a word, by the way. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a better way to say that. I'm sure there is. But we're going to stick with it just because I want to pick a fight with you now. So, <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is when I'm, a, I'm an employee and I'm working with a family member, there's an assumption that if there is an open spot or there's a, a, a chance for advancement, that, you know what, I'm going to guess that the family members already got a road in. So there's there's kind of this sense of like, this is not a fair fight. Like I can be working really hard and I can be the better, you know, the better employee, but I'm competing against somebody that brings something to the table that I can't can't do. And so there's, there's really, that's a really important aspect um, to look at. The other thing that I've dealt with. Wait, can I, you're saying unmotivating for other employees. Right. Like, so there's a, there's a sense that this, why would I work as hard as I could if I'm not in a fair fight? Yeah, that's right. Which from from a parent's point of view, it makes sense because if I'm going to promote somebody, I want, I mean, I am going to choose my son. You see this in sports all the time, right? Right. Right. Like, I'm going to play my kid more. Right. It's just I want them to succeed. Which is horrible, though, because oftentimes when people join a team, sports is a great example of this. When people join a team, they want to win. And they think the coach wants to win. And so everyone has the same objective. Everyone wants to win. But then coach also has a hidden agenda. He wants to win, and he wants his son to be quarterback. And so then you're like, well, then what the heck? What are we doing here? Are we fighting to win? Are we fighting for your son to be quarterback? And if you're on a team where the leader or the coach has mixed motives and mixed and a mixed agenda or a hidden agenda, that is demotivating to Kent's point. Yeah, unmotivating. There we go. No, demotivating. Uh, unmotivating is not a word. So can can you get us on number one? Mm-hmm. You said there were two things that had stood out to you. What number yeah, one was? It's, it's demotivating, unmotivating to everybody else. Whatever. Yeah, that's number two. Go. Number two is there's really this sense that sometimes you show up on at work on a Monday morning, maybe, and you realize that multiple people have had conversations about the workplace and decisions have happened that you know nothing about. Because <laughs> guess what? They were together as a family on Saturday oh, night and they decided to talk about oh, things and they're like, well, so let's do this. True. And you're like, man, I had no idea that this is the direction we were going. So let me take this one step further, because I love where this is heading. There is, it seems, an unconscious desire to avoid meritocracy inside of businesses and promote people on merit, but defer when it's in a family situation to blood. Nepotism is the term, you know, comes most readily to mind with this to the point that multi-generation businesses are often promoted to family as the next generation owner. And what do we see happen? The next generation of the business collapses because family was close, but not skilled enough to carry it forward. And Chris, I think you're 100% right. It takes, it is not impossible for family businesses to thrive and just grow. There's examples everywhere, but it takes an uncommon level of leadership skill to pull it off. You have to have a very, very difficult conversations and very clear, consistent boundaries over and over again with all your employees, to Ken's point, with your family, to Jordan's point. Everyone has to know where you're standing, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. And if you fudge on any of those for six months or for eight months, or you're unclear about the goals or objectives, Suddenly, things will unravel and suspicion will get in there so 
fast. It's not even funny. And you won't even realize that your employees are suspicious of you or your kids are suspicious of you until like five years down the line, right? I mean, that kind of stuff happens over and over again if you were not a skilled business owner with the ability to have those difficult conversations. Now, I want to highlight, though, the fact that, Jordan, you're sitting here, third generation family-owned business, successful family-owned business. It's not that it can't work. And like you said, it takes intention. It takes skill. But by and large, Ken, we do not see second-generation businesses survive. And so as the exception to the rule, Jordan, why does it work? <laughs> Just going to put it all on me. Yeah. <laughs> we expect all the answers. So you have to be willing to fight through, right? I think that's the number one thing is if, if it's going to be successful, the family has to be willing to put, what is it, shoulder to the grindstone, nose to the wheel, ear to the ground. I don't know. I don't know what the phrase is. Foot to the plow. <laughs> the phrase is unmotivated. Because so, the amount of stuff that you don't know that you have to learn and the business consumes, right? Just running the business alone consumes, let alone trying to figure out the dynamics. Like, and that's where bringing in experts, uh, going to small business seminars, talking to other business owners that are second and third generation, like those are the things that helped us to be successful. Like when we brought in outside coaches, it changed it because now you had an objective viewpoint that you were inviting into the conversation. Now that can be inviting employees to that, you can invite accountant, coach, you know, whatever it is. Mike Taylor at Ramos, which is a great example of that. There were so many times we sat out in his office and he would say things or ask us questions that like really put the objectiveness into what we were talking about. And like those are the things that made us successful. Right. It was not our own ability. And when I'm talking successful, successful is not the business. I'm talking about the relationship. Mm -hmm. Because the complexity, like right now I'm outside the family business, which means that I now attend family events where three out of the four adult males in the room are in business together and I'm the fourth one. Mm -hmm. So but when we transitioned and we started talking about what that looks like, we had multiple conversations about how we were going to handle that, mm -hmm. what it was going to feel like. They are super sensitive to us. And we're super sensitive to them. Seven and a half years later, where we're, we still have conversations sometimes about it to make sure that we're not, that we don't get out of alignment there. Yeah. Because it's hard. So family, in your example, can do it with honest and intellectual engagement on and even emotional honesty yeah. about what's going on. Ken, you have a really good friend who took a different tact. Fourth generation, right? Third, third or fourth generation Family business owner, major name in our community, which now just called Kime, Robbie took a wholly different track being the next generation. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about his track that he took? Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I would say that, you know, from, from a friend's standpoint and just outside looking in, you know, I think that he did a lot of different things at the business. I know that he took a path where he had to kind of figure out what he enjoyed, what he didn't enjoy. And, and you know, even now he's continued to make, to make changes uh, in his career path just over the last decade, which is great to see. So I think the takeaway for me, I love what Jordan was saying about learning, but I think that the step 
has to be prior to that. I think we have to look at, does the next generation want to take on the family business? Because that is such a big part of that next step is sometimes the, the owner's like, man, I just wish one of my kids would take it over. The kids feel pressured. The kids don't want to take over the family business. They want to do something else. They don't have a passion for it. They could go to 50 seminars that we recommend for them. And at the end of the day, they could care less about that family business. And so I think that's where that conversation has to start of, okay, does the next generation want to bring bring that to the table? Well, to be clear real quick before I come back to Jordan here, Robbie Kime, fourth generation lead at Kime Lumber, said, this is not the right position for me and hired their first non-family CEO of the business. And he stepped up to like a chairman of the board kind of status or whatever the position he occupies. That to me takes a tremendous amount of courage and a family legacy organization to say, we're going to entrust leadership, day-to-day leadership to somebody else. Well-qualified Jim Smucker who took it over We've all met Jim, super well qualified yeah. to lead them forward into what's next. And so that is an alternative to the family continuing to run it, like in your situation, Jordan, where you turn it over, maintaining ownership, but not necessarily day-to-day control. Well, I can I can speak from my point of view. One of the things that was hard for me as a son is that it was difficult for me to see opportunity outside the business. And so all the opportunity that I saw was because of nepotism and I work hard there. The path to success to anything is so much higher. So then I look outside the business and I don't have those same paths or I have to go carve it out and find it. That was difficult. So one of the things I always encourage moms and dads, business owners, that if they have kids inside the business that want in, make or you want kids to be able to have an opportunity to go out, make sure that you provide them with the same amount of opportunity. Right, because a successful business has options, and helping your kid to see, hey, if you want to go start a business, I'll help you. Right, I'll be the, I'll, I'll help fund you or whatever it is. You can still be use nepotism outside the business, but so I'm advocating for that. But I think that's important, right? Because you don't want your kids stuck there. You don't want them staying because they don't see any other opportunity if that's not where they're intended to be. So this conversation is kind of forged back and forth here to the negatives. What is the negatives that happen? Discipline, motivation, other impact on other people in your organization when they see that happen, all the way to intergenerational transfer of control. The reality of it is, though, working with family is challenging for a number of reasons. What would be, and Dan, I'm going to come to you and ask you this question. What would be your number one piece of advice to somebody who is working with family? Mm. Well, I think I think it can be tremendously rewarding if you do it right. I think the the pull of building a legacy and building something that when you're retired and you're done, you can point to and say, "Wow, not only am I feeding my kids, but I'm feeding my grandkids, and I'm feeding my great grandkids, and they are all thrilled and happy, and our customers are excited because our name is on it, and our family name means something." I mean. To be able to say that, I mean, that is just exciting for a lot of people. And then on top of that, if you're able to make it happen to the third generation, the fourth generation, because you've had all those hard conversations and you built in great boundaries and you understand how to lead hard and lead well, everybody down the line is better because of it. Like everyone recognizes how to do that in their own lives because they've done it in the business. 
And so the upside of doing it right is just huge, right? I mean, the ramifications are massive. It's just very difficult to do. But if you're willing to set out and do it, oh my gosh, I mean, you could change, you could change whole generations because you do it the right way. Kevin, come to you. What would be your number one piece of advice to people who are working with family? Keep it at work and keep it at home. So <laughs> don't mix the two more than you have to. I mean, you know, from an employee standpoint of having to hear, you know, awkward conversations about home or, you know, if you're having conversations at home about work all the time, I don't see that as a recipe for success. That's pretty stark. Pretty stark. Jordan. Uh, my favorite advice is the hats. So know what hat you're wearing when you're speaking, who you're speaking to. So me and my brother, good example. He was president of the company. I was a uh, manager inside the company and we were business partners and brothers. So we had the brother relationship, owner relationship, and then employee relationship. And we never knew who was talking because I could trump anything he said, he could trump anything I said. So it was convoluted about who was talking. We in the end, and this is what's so hard about family businesses, there's only one way to get good at it, right? It's not like you're in the here and then you, it's like you learn as you go. But we started to say, well, who's talking, right? Are you talking to me as a brother? Are you talking to me as an owner? Are you talking to me as an employee? Because if it's an employee, if he's talking to me as an employee, I have to receive it different. If he's talking to me as a business partner, that's a whole different thing. If we're talking as brothers, that's never going away. Right. So that really helped us. And we have a lot of those conversations. Hey, this is a brother conversation. So that helped. Well, I think I can come to the table with this as experience. <laughs> My wife and I have worked together our entire professional career from teaching together. And then the only time we didn't work together was when I was in law school. And uh, she now does HR for the firm undeniably keeping Ken in check all the time. <laughs> but hiring for us, she hired 13 people last year and did an amazing job, you know, uh, in doing those things. And so it isn't clean. I would say, first and foremost, you want to have nice boundaries. They're not clean. You're stressed about things when you own a business and those, that stress doesn't know the five o'clock stop time. And so it isn't clean. But I agree that the upsides to a good family relationship, if based intellectually honest and emotionally responsible, are that you get get really creative mm. because these people are never going to be more vested than anybody else in your success. True. They want you to succeed. They want it very much. Mm -hmm. And there is nobody else, no employee who you will ever work for, you will be invested in the same way as a family member can, who has a good, solid relationship with you mm -hmm. in the nature of that. Mm -hmm. It's not always good, though. It's not always fun. And you disagree, and sometimes those relational lines blur. And you don't know if it's brother to brother or boss to boss to employee sometimes. And yeah, that's part of the nature of it. But I'd say honest, challenging conversations set a foundation for familial success. And then to all the way back to Ken's point, I think we should not gloss over the fact that there needs to be transparency with non-family members. Non-family members need to know that when it comes to the business, they're just as in the loop as everybody else. Whether it's a meritocracy or whether it's nepotism, everybody needs to be on the same page. So guys, thanks for this. This is a good topic and a challenging one that I know a lot of small businesses go through when they're especially getting going and doing that. So on behalf of Jordan Mollick, Ken Hostetler, and Dan Olavi, this is Chris White. Thanks for listening.